Oh, oh no. no. Oh no. No. We're back. Oh no. We're back. Or alternatively, if the pilot episode turns out to be total shit, hey, it's us. Inter- it's the first time we're meeting. Yeah. We're bonus experience. I've never seen you before in my life. Who are you again? I'm Ray. And I'm Monica. Oh, Monica, that's yeah. a nice name. Thanks. You remind me of somebody I've known for like 10 years now. My mom gave it to me. Would you like to be on a podcast with me that takes a deeper look beyond the play experience at the finer details of running and writing games? Uh, I think I would. Um, how do you feel about swearing? Uh, I love swearing. I'm mad about it. Oh, maybe I will. Um, all right, what do you want to talk about? Are we yeah. going to talk about we're going to talk about uh, house rules as the gateway drug to game design? Yeah, that sounds like a good thing to talk about. So the big question is, when you're running a game, why house rule? Why bother to mess with the existing mechanical structure that a game comes with? Because some of it is bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Come on. You've you've played in a system where you've looked at part of like, oh, and some of it has been bad. Uh, right? And sometimes a lot of it has been bad. Sometimes a lot of it is bad. Sometimes there's a lot of but it. But you still want to run the game for whatever reason. Sometimes a lot of it is bad and people insist that it's not. It's fans and brand loyalty. And I understand. It's not a person, though. It's a system. It's, right, right. it's a series of rules. And you can break them. You can ignore them. You can change them. Yeah. And uh, I prefer the changing part. Yeah. So just let me put out there as a person with experience in this, um, writing rules is hard, um, but you should play test and you should always play test. You should play test with people who are not in your regular play group and you should play test with people uh, outside your regular play group, play test with people online. And if you are designing a system, you should have someone else run the system you've designed because when you're not at the helm, you got to make sure that somebody else who's not you can understand it. This is super important. Also, probably sh- another show we'll do later. <laughs> <laughs> How to run a play test and why you should fucking do it. Yeah. But yeah, you should you house rule because the rules as written don't fucking work or you don't fucking like them. Or it turned out you completely forgot and assumed that the rules actually work a different way entirely. And then you go back and read and go, oh my god, stealth in D&D works how? And you never actually had any problems running it the way you did, and you accidentally house-ruled something. Yeah, and when when you realize that you've accidentally house-ruled something, you're actually doing really tiny little bits of game design. Yeah, like little little smidgens. Smidgens, little nuggets. Little smack rolls. So anyway, when when's a good time to house-rule? I mean, besides, we already covered the point of house ruling is to patch rules that suck or to perhaps make things easier. So when's when's a good time to do it? Well, I honestly started house ruling because everybody else was doing it. Um, This was baby GM Ray, who started running her very first game, which was Exalted, and borrowed house rules from you, Monica, actually. Oh, yeah? Because you had just run your games that way. And I was like, oh, well, that's fun. And I just... I just took it. It was like, well, other people are doing this, so I'll do it too. So do you happen to remember which of my rules you took? Um, stunts always confer moats and willpower, whether they are successful or not. Oh yeah, I forgot that it was a thing. And roll highest virtue to regain willpower instead of rolling conviction. Mm-hmm. Those are the two that I remember just off the top of my head. Okay. I was just like, fuck, that's way better. I'll do that. Yeah. 
so, <laughs> it was, so it was just I'm actually that. really glad that you remembered those because I forgot about them. And um, like I knew they were like patches that I had done, and I actually got them from Henry. They're Henry's patches um, because he ran Exalted for me, and I copied him, and you copied me. So ultimately, you copied him. He was the person who read the book and went, this is bullshit, and patched the things that didn't work. So really, the first thing you do is look for places like, okay, the conviction thing specifically. So for those of you who are listening who are not familiar with Exalted uh, previous editions, um, there were four virtues which you could channel for bonus dice, but also sort of directed the way your character behaved and determined your curse as an exalt and a whole bunch of other shit. But uh, there was... I liked Virtues. I liked Virtues, too. I'm disappointed that they got rid of them. Uh, There was a lot of uh, mechanical impetus towards investing everything in conviction, which also happened to be the asshole stat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And the only way to regain um, willpower, which you needed to fuel your special powers, and uh, especially your really strong special powers called charms, um, was to roll your conviction after a full night's rest. Uh, And Henry was the one who had read that rule and was like, well, that's stupid. Why do you not just go with your highest virtue? So instead of being mechanically incentivized to skew towards asshole stat, you are simply rewarded for being having a high virtue full stop. And that's recognizing the design space that, hey, this mechanical text trends characters towards a certain way unnecessarily. I'm going to fix it so that other options are rewarded. Yeah. So that's a look, that's like an under the hood look at why that choice was made. Uh, the same with the, um, the stunt dice. In fact, I had completely forgotten that the actual stunt dice rule was that unless the stunt, if the stunt failed, you didn't get the motes back. Like, we just house ruled that across the board constantly because it was a stupid rule that I actually forgot the real rule existed. I also house rule, um, when I start, like, really fucking with the setting and the themes of the game. Um, I know that, for okay, for example, D&D, um, I had uh, a brief uh, modern setting D&D that I was doing, and there are, like, some out-of-the-box rules for, like, if you want to have firearms, but it didn't, it didn't really do enough for me. Like, I wanted more into, like, exactly how technology would work. Like, could you patch in new skills? Um what would be like the socioeconomic impact of magic, you know? So I had to come up with like, with new systems to make this new setting work for this system. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's house ruling. That's, that's home cooking. So would you consider hacking a system where basically you take an existing system and you sort of cut the rules out and you're like, well, I'm going to use this existing system to run this other thing. Would you consider that just like a really big house rule? <sighs> um. So, like, okay. So, the best example of this I can give that you, I know you're is this immediately like, is a hot dog a sandwich, right? Is, is a hot dog a sandwich? Is a hack a house roll? Like, um, consider my No Rest for the Wicked, which is a hack for Power by the Apocalypse with a sprinkle of Dungeon World on top. Like, or yeah, is that its yeah. own system? I think isn't Power by the Apocalypse kind of its own monster it, though? Yeah. Like, because there's a lot of different. Okay, okay. Metro Exalted. Alright, Metro Exalted. Which I didn't really change a whole lot of the rules there. I just changed sort of the flavor around it. So is that yeah. is that a house rule? I mean, yeah, I think that's just a, a I think it's just a collection of, of new house rules because you had to figure out how new shit would work if we all have like cars and TV. Okay, that's fair. 
I mean, that's what I think anyway. So I house rule most commonly when it would save time. Am I too lazy to look up what it is? Yes. <laughs> Will I make a rule up on the fly? Yes. Actually, oh, sometimes, though, the real rules are super unwieldy and annoying, and I will change them on the fly to be faster because we got two hours and people have lives. And we're not going to spend five minutes resolving this one combat action. Right. Uh, there are there are times when you shouldn't house rule. Yeah. Like, I I love making new things for games sometimes i kind of go overboard uh and maybe make things that aren't necessarily needed but you know you, you gotta know when to stop putting paint on the canvas also don't house rule to take shit away from your players um i have had gms that decided we were too powerful and then would like hamstring us with house rules because they felt that the actual rules as written were giving us unfair advantages and it's i'm i'm really I'm really player forward. And if you really want to like put your powerful characters in a pickle, there are way more elegant and less antagonistic ways to do that than to just say, well, it turns out that this completely canonical thing that you legitimately bought is not something I like. So I'm not going to let you have it or use it anymore. The best way to deal with that is that sometimes people want to buy things that have been written into the game that are in fact broken. Uh, or will skew play in the direction you don't want it to go in. Um, let's make a callback to Exalted First Edition's um, shit, what was that? Five Dart Hearthstone, the one that made you immortal? Gem of Infinite Health, <laughs> or what the fuck? Uh-huh. The one where it was like you had to like be burned and then everything scattered yeah, yeah, yeah. and buried, and even then you could still come back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that one. <laughs> the one that like made you regenerate constantly, and so you you had a character who literally could be threatened by nothing. So like, mm-hmm. it's fair to say you're not allowed to take that and declare that as a as a statement ahead of time. And I'm not so sure that that's, that is fair. That that's a house rule. That's sort of like a, I guess it is if we're calling a hack a house rule. So yeah, that's like a, that's the that's a restriction yeah. that's cutting out something that skews play in a way you don't want it to. Um, right. It is not fair to let someone take that and then have regrets. <laughs> and, and also, I, I was thinking more along the lines of not not just things that are like fringe, super powerful, buried deep within the the book of lost elves or whatever you called it. The, the complete um, book of elves, but more which things was a that are book. like the big book of, elves. book of elves. Oh, the complete book. I like Big Book of yeah, Elves. Yeah, Big Book of Elves. It's like a picture is a book. picture book. It's like cardboard. Complete Book of Elves <laughs> is a D&D second edition supplement that did contain an obnoxiously powerful, like, kit. I think that's what they were called. It was like the second edition version of a prestige class. Babies look and find elves. <laughs> um, stuff that's, like, in the basic rules. I, I, I've, I had a really antagonistic GM who would decide that um, even though it was an ability that was intrinsic to your character and your character concept, it got in the way of the story he was trying to tell, so you didn't get to use it Christ. anymore. Yeah, stuff like that. So I want to I want to like, amend what I said about having regrets by letting someone take something that's too powerful. It is it is okay to out of character address the player and be like, "This ain't working, and here's why," and be transparent about well, I let you take this thing, and it turns out it's skewing the game in a way I don't want it to go, and I would appreciate it if 
you relinquished it. We can work out a cool way for that to happen, right? You just have an open and honest conversation with that person. It is not particularly okay to solve your out-of-character problem, which is to say this item or this power or whatever is skewing your play by trying to take it away in-game. That's using an in-character solution to an out-of-character problem. And almost yeah, never, never do that. ever do that. <laughs> Always bad. <laughs> Always talk things out with your players. Never use an in-character uh, solution to an out-of-character problem. Only villains do that. So, uh, so <laughs> as we sort of stated previously, house ruling is is the beginnings of game design. It's game design 101. That beer is affecting my ability to enunciate. Who would have thought? Um, as I as I noted and said before, uh, the places that GMs start to reflexively patch holes and create new rules to save time are the be- beginnings of design. I mean, you've you've been playing this game and you've realized that the rules as written don't work, and so you're writing new ones. Have you ever added an entirely new subsystem to a game? Are you at home, the listener, saying no? Well, have you ever added, like, hero points or some other reroll Benny to get out of trouble to D&D? Guess what? Ha ha. Yeah, even if you didn't, like, create the specific tool that you used, you still found a use for it and plugged it into the system when it wasn't already baked in. I mean, it's not, you're not playing D&D out of the box if you're like, I want to use hero points and I want to use gritty realistic healing because i'm an asshole (laughs) yeah uh i have a a good friend who has been who runs DD almost exclusively and like occasionally he's like yeah man i don't like these things and i've been changing all these rules for this outdated system we like playing and i'm adding hero points and all that and i'm like oh babby's first game design i'm so proud of you for for (laughs) thinking about this critically and like the beginning of that sounded like me being an asshole, but the end of it was like, no, I appreciate it when people have thought about the structure of their game critically and like, what about this isn't working so that I can change it? Or what about this fits the way my table approaches play? Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with someone who tells me how much they love D&D 3.5. Oh my god, it's the best game ever. Pro tip, it's not. Uh <laughs> And then I'm like, okay, well, what about it did you like? What, you know, was it the 50 million unbalanced supplements? Is that the part that you were a big fan of? And uh, That was yeah. my favorite. And then they're like, well, no, we added all these things and we didn't allow these things. And like we house ruled in hero points and like we house ruled in a different kind of healing. And we used this subsystem from Call of Cthulhu to make it more scary. And I'm like, well, then you didn't actually love D&D 3.5 you loved your version of D&D 3.5 uh, and while that sort of invalidates your argument for loving the rules as written it does mean that you as the person who loved that version of the game did maybe a lot of design work do you know what like really gets a bug up my ass people who are like you can't play an elf monk have you seen this shit or <laughs> they're like monks wouldn't exist in the forest and elves can't be monks because Monks are supposed to be Asian, and it just fuck. It's it's you, Dungeons and Dragons, can, and you think an elf monk is the least believable thing in the system? Fuck off! Can you hear the face I'm making? <laughs> I can hear. I can feel it. <laughs> I can oh my feel God. it. There's no Asian elves. A psychic imprint. There's yeah. One. There's no Asian elves. Apparently. Two. 
fuck off. <laughs> I'm I'm making an elf monk the elfiest. I monk. mean, I we could get on a whole tangent about this, but it boggles that someone would be like, elves aren't Asian when there is a setting where there are magic potions that make you grow and also literally dragons. It's in the fucking title. <laughs> <laughs> magic is real, so Ugh. go fuck yourself. I believe in immortal beautiful people that have inherent magics, but they cannot be from China. <laughs> Jesus. So, hey, tell me about some of the best um, house rules that you've either made up or you've encountered. Well, I already told you about um, the two that you introduced, well, Henry introduced right. me to by way that, of by you. By way of me, yeah. Um, when I first actually started, like, my very, very first RPG was D&D 3.5. Um, Sorry. I have very little memory of it. I know, it It really soured me on it for a while. <laughs> and then and then I made some friends in high school that played White Wolf games. And I, that completely different side of the coin i mean i loved white wolf games so i say i'm sorry but my first game was exalted first edition oh jesus it ruined me all right <laughs> anyway um the very first uh white wolf game i played was a uh changeling the dreaming game um and my uh storyteller used what she called the pilot episode rule or if you made a character went through that whole process then played one up one session of it and realized i don't like this character or there was something about it you wanted to change, or anything. You, the first episode or the first session is considered the pilot episode, so we'll just recast you. Um, so I I use that rule basically with every game that I start. I remind the players, you know, this is just the pilot episode. If you don't like your guy, a second episode we can recast him, or we can change this or change that. Don't don't feel like you're locked into the mistakes you made before you started playing. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic rule. Uh, I also started adapting. Um, passive knowledge checks in D&D. Um, I found this recommended in a bunch of different places where instead of rolling to know something, uh, the DM just asks for your history or can or whatever, and then makes a judgment based on your ranks without actually calling for a roll, uh, which I always, I really like that because I don't feel like your education and, and your knowledge should be left up to the same like random chance as the combat system I, I, it, and it's and it's not it's it's not interesting to 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 be playing a dwarf and like oh look at this fucking stone statue this is really great where does this come from what kind of and you roll your history stone cunning and you get a two because you know that's always a chance and the dm just like you don't know shit about that <laughs> it's like what? that makes no sense instead you could just be like oh yeah i'm i'm proficient in history i've got you know a plus seven modifier the dm could be like oh okay yeah here's what you know about that yeah, I, and it, it just you know it, it feels like it, it leaves things a lot more open than than relying on random chance for for our audience at home we had a whole text conversation about this you and i oh did we yeah yeah yeah, yeah we did you you, you actually <laughs> texted me to be mad about how d20s kind of suck d20s and, do suck and i was like here's some math reasons why that's the case uh and then you like talked about your your passive thing and i was like that's a good rule you know the the 1d20 works fine for combat because you want a, a level of unpredictability you want that yeah you want stakes you want right you know co you want complications and consequences but you don't need that shit for like do do i know what this history book says <laughs> like <laughs> you don't that's not fun yeah. but that's also i mean that's um I don't know if this counts as a house rule. I think it's more of like a, a philosophy of running that I picked up from Fate, where you 
just plain don't ask for a role unless failure would actually be interesting. Oh you God. don't just don't just, give them the choice if yeah, there's a wrong just, answer. Just, just do this the whole time. Or if you're going to call for a role in a case where failure might not be interesting, then you do um, basically like a, a reference Cthulhu Dark, which is a tiny indie game that's super fucking simple and strips playing like Cthulhu mythos down into like one or two dice rolls. Oh, um, cool. It's really neat. Uh, and I made an exalted version called Exalted Light, which I can, I can <laughs> put link in, link in the show notes whenever we get around to that. Um, Cthulhu Dark, right? So basically in Cthulhu Dark, you roll a one, one D six and one is everything, everything succeeds, right? So like you try to pick the lock, but if you roll a one, you pick the lock and the door swings open and you are confronted with the unblinking void, right? Uh, oh, okay. On a six, you pick the lock, you open the door and are able to s- slip unnoticed away from the Shogath coming up behind you, you know? So Okay, right. so it's it's the whole, it's it's yes and yes. the system. It is a yes and system. So in the instances where a failure would not be interesting, you can instead, but, but people love rolling dice and people like randomization and people like yeah. the thrill of will this work or won't it? So you shift your dice roll to success, but the lower you roll, you're still going to do the action. Your character is still going to succeed. Like never strip competency away from a character. So you're still going to succeed, but not in the way you want to. <laughs> To encapsulate an example of how I did this uh, recently, I'm going to keep referencing Through the Breach because it's the game I've been running very recently. Um, and Malifo, the the minis game, and Through the Breach both use a proprietary card deck. It's the same number of cards as a regular card deck, so if you want to play it, you can use a regular one, but you can buy proprietary, proprietary ones, and they're pretty fucking neat. <laughs> but a Red Joker is um, a 14, which is the highest possible success, uh, and a black joker is a zero, and it's the worst possible success. And as I've been running this game, I've always treated both of them as like a huge narrative impetus. So if somebody gets a red joker, they get everything they want and then some. And sometimes that and then some comes with things that they didn't necessarily ask for. That doesn't screw them over, but maybe has a, has strings, you know? Yeah. Uh, a black joker has always been exactly what you wanted but not at all on your terms you succeeded but at what cost but at what cost so like the climb the the the, like epilogue of my game uh involved one character trying to infiltrate this theater and his rival and she's a powerful fixture of the setting and he's fucked around in another powerful fixture of the setting's business and victor ramos and his goons are maybe gonna kill him and he's sweeping the whole theater to see whether or not it's been set up to be like a death trap, right? Like, are the doors sealed and are there people with guns waiting for me outside, right? So he black jokers. And he's he's like, oh god, now I'm not gonna know. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no. You find out that they have gunsmiths, which are in setting, like, really, really dangerous hitmen. Okay. They're waiting for you at every door. Okay. And, like, he gets to know everything. And then I describe another of the major canon characters, because Malifaux is a game full of heroes and stuff, and I had used them really liberally in this game. And I'm like, she approaches you, and so I describe this character, and is like, I'm honestly a Kairos, nice to meet you. And then everybody at the table is like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> I just introduced one of the one of the more powerful characters in the setting, and suddenly she's here on a black joker like henry dropped his pencil in rage (laughs) (laughs) so you you pull things like that where you're like now i'm hanging this big like oh shit 
over your players' heads. And, like, of course, that's not stopping them from continuing to do the thing they want to do, but now they have this big threat that could go off. I've, I've put a Chekhov's gun on the mantle, and I may fire it. I like that. That's good. Thanks. That's good stuff. It is good stuff. So yeah, um, Exalted taught me how to house rule well, like I said a little bit before. Exalted 1st Edition was my first game. That's... Yeah, it kind of requires being good at house ruling. I mean, Henry so, imparted... hard on Exalted. I love Exalted. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm tough because I care. <laughs> we are going to talk about it a lot in the show because it's, it's the thing that brought us together. Yeah, that's right. It's what, it's what got me s- stuck in this rpg hell because i noticed you had power combat stats listed for a character in a webcomic did i yeah you sure did when was that uh in the freedom stone well yeah but i don't remember any of this okay so in like (laughs) i have a stupid memory so in like one of the earlier episodes cricket holds up her smash fist her singular smash fist before you had to buy them in pairs and um (laughs) you had like the stats appear next to it which is hilarious um but they were the power combat stats <laughs> and that was when you knew uh, yeah and i was like <laughs> wow your gm's forcing you to use power combat yep that gm oh boy okay anytime i bring up oh yeah i've had a gm that did i'm talking about that gm we have a we, we'll talk about we'll talk, it yeah, yeah we, we can have a show on like War stories. We're gonna have like it'll just be us rocking on a porch, mm. like Whitlin. Yep, <laughs> talking about back in my shit. day. <laughs> oh man! So yeah, I house rule on the fly a lot. Um, almost every game that I run, I wind up house ruling. Um, often because I'm too damn lazy to check the book. So I just will make up a rule and compare it later. And if I like mine better, we'll keep using it. Um, and I, I can't even catalog how many times I've been like, mm, nah, I'm just going to make up a subsystem right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically running Exalted the house ruling right now <laughs> for, um, my, for my real life table group. Mm-hmm. I, I've known them for like almost two years now. Um, and of course, like as soon as I met them, I was like, do any of you play Exalted? <laughs> and I got four resounding, what the hell is that? <laughs> And one of them went, like, made a face, like, mm. I was like, no! <laughs> so I had to, I had to, like, I had to, cut, I had to work with her, like, what happened? Why don't you, is it okay if I, like, exalted? Should I go outside? Like, but she, she had a, she had a bad GM experience or a bad, I think it was just a bad game experience because she had a concept that was tied to a specific location. But then the entire party wanted to leave. So her concept was completely invalidated. Um, and, I, and I've been trying to, no, come on. I want to run it, please. I love it so much. I'm good at it. I promise I'm good at it. And, and she finally was like, okay, I think I'm ready. So then they, they come to me with like, okay, we're ready. We, we want to play Exalted. I'm like, great. And it's like, oh, fuck, it's a fucking mess right now, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> like everyone's finally ready to come over to my place. And there's dishes under the couch. And my cat box smells like shit. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) fuck. So now I'm running what is basically second edition with the third, some of the third edition changes, the third edition sorcery, because the third third edition sorcery is like, it's like the, it's, it's the shining jewel of, in my opinion, I, I, I think sorcery and sorcerer's workings and exalted like 
is fucking incredible. Um, everything else in Exalted Third Edition is kind of uh, it, it's like an eight hundred page book, and I these are people who have never played Exalted before at all, and I'm not gonna just bring in an eight hundred page core book and be like, here you go pick charms there's 55 in the craft tree alone like i i basically have had to like cobble together something that was accessible from all of the parts of exalted that i like so i've i've basically like been making like exalted 2.7 but they don't know because they never played exalted before <laughs> so to them this is all one cohesive experience like i'm playing it all out of the box <sighs> so yeah uh, my diplomatic answer as a person currently on Exalted's payroll is um, there's there's a starter kit. The Tomb of Yes Dreams something, something. Tomb of Tomb of tomb. Not Five Corners. The noun of adjective nouns. Yeah, the Tomb of Noun thing noun. Yeah, that one. I did look at that. Yes. Yeah, I, I believe it comes with pre-generated characters and it is a is does. a decent starting point. It is. I agree. Yeah. So if you want to start there, I would recommend starting there. Same to my audience. Start yes, there. For anyone for anyone who's like, what the fuck is this Exalted thing? They keep talking about it. There's a there's a quick start introduction to Exalted that you can find. It's like on drive through. It is on drive um, Some other places, I'm sure, because I only really use drive through. I think yeah. it might just be drive through because the Onyx Path stopped doing actual print runs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's too expensive. Look, I'm I'm perfectly happy to, to diss on previous editions. I didn't work oh, yeah, on those. Yeah, they weren't paying you. Nope. <laughs> but anyway, so like uh, my most recent successful house rule is again from Through the Breach because that's what I've been running. Um, and uh, I keep mentioning all these, these powerful opponents who are all canon characters from the minis game. Um, and Through the Breach actually has a like uh, the GM never touches the dice kind of rule. Which oh, is, that's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and uses static difficulties instead. So um, you have... Uh, all NPCs have a station, which indicates sort of how tough they are. Um, and then they have a static value they add to their stats. And that's the difficulty it is to, like, hit them and how hard they hit back. The problem is, is that the static values get really high. So once you... The average character has a stat value of, like, plus five. And, of course, you're looking at a card deck, so you're looking at one to 13. Um, as your as your general spread with zero in there for the black joker and a fourteen for the red joker, so you have a pretty narrow spread of numbers you can hit. Mm-hmm. So um, the master, which is the the heroes of the war game status, is uh, twelve and thirteen, and they have stats at like seven. So if you have a master who is defense seven and they are master 13, that means they're your difficulty to hit them is 20, right? So if you okay. have a, if you have a character whose average stat is five, what can they not do? Hit them, hit them. Given that the card deck tops out at 14 and there's only one 14 in the whole deck split among six, four, four to six players. We've pointed that out in playtesting several times and they've been like, well, that's that's intentional. You're not supposed to be able to mess with the Masters. And I'm sort of like, well, what's the point? Well, then why did you put it in there? Right. So what's the point of playing in this setting if you're not supposed to interact with the cool canon characters? So I fixed it. And went, oh, okay. And went, okay, Masters. <laughs> don't worry, I'll fix it for don't you. Don't worry, I'll fix it for you because I really like these characters. I want them to show up in my game and I want my players to be able to interact with them without them just their appearance just being steamrolling them yeah i mean they're 
important, powerful people, so they're supposed to be frightening and dangerous when they show up, right? I don't want to take that away. You should absolutely balk at the idea of fighting them, but it shouldn't be impossible, like mathematically impossible. So what I did was I set the TN for all masters at 16. If they would blow it out of the water, it's 16. If you have a default set of 5, that means you need an 11, meaning you have 11, 12, 13 Red Joker in the deck for everybody. So it's not impossible, just hard. Yes, that was the thing I did to adjust the difficulty curve for powerful opponents and through the breach, and it worked out incredibly. Yeah, it actually like gives your player something to shoot for as opposed to, like, here's this edifice that I can't interact with. Well, you just can't. And it was great because um, one of my players... Um, this this started with a, an adventure that was for an event and everybody had pre-generated characters and one of the characters came with like a background where they were rivals with one of the settings masters oh cool right yeah it was awesome and he like bought into it and like played it to the nines and like if I hadn't adjusted that difficulty he couldn't have messed with her at all yeah there wouldn't have been a rivalry <laughs> yeah that sucks anything else cool you've done lately I've done lots of cool stuff I'm, I'm the wind baby I'm I'm the coolest cat. Uh, other other than other than trying to build exalted two point seven, um, nope. <laughs> well, that, that sounds like a, maybe a good place to wrap up then. Yep. All right, everybody, get out. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving. Unless you got anything else you want to say about house rules and design and just do it, man. It's like <laughs> this is my advice for DMing. Just do it. Just try it out. Just do it, but think about why you're doing it. Yes. And when you think about why you're doing it, that puts you into the mindset of beginning to do design. Yes. Because yes. none of these things are done for no reason. Yes. Some of them, they may, there may be a bad reason. I mean, it may be a bad reason, but it's not no reason. You can, you can make the false god canon bleed a little bit when you realize, oh, these, these aren't like codified and written in stone. These aren't like sacred things that must be upheld. I can just fucking change it if I want to. Yeah, you can just fucking change it if you want just to. Fucking change it if you want to. Should that be our sign off? Just fucking change it. Change if you it want if you to. want to. <laughs> be like, all right, this has been bonus experience. Just change it if you fucking want to. <laughs> well, thank you everybody very much for listening. We're bonus experience. We'll be back next week, maybe. Probably? Probably. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Take plus one forward to GMing this week. (laughs) We are written and produced by Monica and Ray. Our theme song is Reuse Noise with the Light by CDK and is used under the attribution, non-commercial, Creative Commons license. Our logo and art are by Nino Studios, N-E-N-O, and you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can earn more bonus experience on WordPress, iTunes, or wherever you get podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll see you in the next episode.